never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that would like to wish everyone a very happy Star Wars Day, um, and may the 4th be with you all. Um, a true Star Wars fan knows that the real Star Wars Day is May 25th, because that is the original release of the original film, but we'll take the Hallmark holiday anyway, because in all seriousness, in my house, Star Wars Day is every day. Joining me, as always, <laughs> is my brother, Peter here. How are you, man? <laughs> What's up? Uh, pretty good. You? Drew. <laughs> What's that? I said, I just forgot to mention, I'm Drew. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> how has uh, your Star Wars day been? It's been all right. Um, I have a Star Wars shirt on, but uh, otherwise I haven't done too much other Star Warsy stuff, unfortunately. Um, I'm looking forward to the new season of Visions, and uh, hopefully I'll get to like pop on one of the movies or something later. But have you been doing anything special or anything this time? So everyone, I, one of the officers at the police department has asked me several times if I was going to be there on Thursday. And I said, yes. And he goes, well, it's a holiday. So I didn't know if you were coming in or not. And I said, <laughs> no, I'll be there. And then, nice. like, and then all day today, everyone was like wishing me a happy holiday as if it's like, I'm the only one in the office who is into star Wars. <laughs> I know that's, I know that's not true, but that's you know awesome. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I know that more more people like Star Wars, but I'm clearly, like, the super fan. Um, so that's always fun because it's always, like, you know, you get the texts and all that stuff. Um, Star Wars was on TV all day. TBS ran their marathon. So when I got to eat lunch, I threw Star Wars on in the break room. I got to watch some Star Wars. And then my office is, like, right next to the break room. So when everyone cleared out from lunch, I left it on so I could listen to it while I was doing some nice. <laughs> um I came home, fired up Disney Plus real quick. I watched the first um, two clips, the first two Star Wars Visions. They're fantastic. They're really nice. cool uh, from the new uh, Vision season. And I watched the Simpsons short, um, the little five-minute Simpsons short they did with Maggie. That one's just fun and cute and adorable. Like, there's nothing, like, it's just funny Simpsons Star Wars humor. Um, nice. And then um, I'm bizarrely starting a whole how do you watch it in the proper order thing right now. And when I say that, I mean you watch the first two episodes of Tales of the Jedi. Then you got to watch episode one. Then you got to watch the next two episodes of Tales <laughs> of the Jedi. Then you got to watch episode two. Then you go into the Clone Wars. And the Clone Wars were yep. shot out of – there were some episodes that were shot out of order. So I got to put those in the proper order and watch it. Um, so I'm like – Right near the end of episode two, if that, you know, puts it in perspective. <laughs> but, nice. um, you know, good stuff. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I realized 
we spend a lot of time in the prequel era. Um, when you look at um, when you look at where we grew up with um, the original trilogy, that was our world. You know, for the longest time, that's all we had. The original trilogy, the Civil War era, that was, you know, the Empire, the Rise of the Rebellion, all that That was our era. And then the prequels happen, and you have episodes one, two, three, plus the Clone Wars. So you're with the Clone Wars for seven years on top of that. You're with the prequels so much that where Luke Skywalker was the hero, I feel like this the focus has kind of shifted and this is not a bad thing, but I almost feel like Ahsoka has kind of overshadowed Luke in popularity. And, um, like, she's all ultimately the hero because in the grand scheme of things, she was there for the prequels, the Clone Wars. You see her in Rebels. Now we're seeing her in The Mandalorian. Now she's got her own show. It's almost like she's overshadowed, where for the longest time, Luke was the most important Jedi on the table. Um, yeah. I love Ahsoka, so there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it's interesting. And it made me think... What would be really cool, and I think what we could really benefit from, is an animated show, you make it like two to three seasons, that takes place between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, and then you do a, a, a single season between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And you do it in Clone Wars-style animation, and you do it around the original trilogy. Because they said they don't really want to touch the classic characters on film anymore. Um, because those legacy characters, they're hard to pull off because you don't have the actors like you used to. But if you did it at Clone Wars style, you could tell some really compelling shows, especially when, um, when you look at how the translation from the prequel films to the Clone Wars cartoons translates. I think it works really well. I think it's awesome. So, Lucasfilm, I know you're listening. That's just my thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really cool idea. Um, I think every trilogy within star wars has its own it all fits like it all visually uh fits together the music fits together and stuff but there's always like a hint of the time you know the original trilogy looks a little bit different than the prequels the prequels look a little bit different than the sequel trilogy and i think seeing an animated clone wars-esque show within the original trilogy timeline i think that's a really cool idea and it would be cool to see those original time or design elements come into a show like that so that's a really cool concept and uh, as far as ahsoka being like potentially the main character of star wars i don't even know what to add to that because i think your observation there is really well said and i think um star wars is an interesting beast because it's it's a movie franchise that's been going on for so long, and when you think about the um, the entire breadth of the series, like, it reminds me of how there used to be, I used to hear a lot of discussions about how there's these hardcore Star Wars fans, but they're really just big fans of A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, but yeah. mostly just Empire Strikes Back. And maybe they kind of like Return of the Jedi, but not really. And it's like these original trilogy, like, elitist fans that when you actually look at the breadth of the Star Wars mythos, they really only like, like, two and a half movies. And I'm not saying, like, everybody's entitled entitled to their own opinion. You can have whatever opinion you want. And I'm not saying that's a bad place to be, but it's interesting it's interesting when you take a step back and look at the entirety of the Star Wars series, how your perspective can change like that. And I think the Ahsoka thing that you just mentioned is kind of an interesting 
uh, observation within the same sort of concept, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. And I just, I was something I was thinking about today when I was watching a little bit of episode two, like, I'm like, this is just kind of interesting. We spend a lot of time in this prequel era. Um, right. But hey, um, that's okay. I'm all right with it. I like Star Wars, period. So keep throwing <laughs> it right now. Um, <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of watching new stuff, um, I hit those couple episodes of uh, Visions and the uh, Simpsons short. I have not watched really anything new. Um, I did start a uh, – I know we're doing watching a little bit out of order. Um, I did start a anime – on Hulu because it said that I should watch it. Like, you know, in those <laughs> you know, in those recommends, right. like things you would like, um, it just caught my attention. Cause it, I just like sword stuff. So it was like, Hey, you like this. So watch this. Um, the yeah. show is called, uh, chivalry of a failed night. The artwork looked cool. The, the, um, the description of the show looked kind of cool. Okay. Um, what I wasn't expecting was the this is a this is a show for mature audiences. Um, there is a lot of sexual innuendo and like partial nudity, which I was not expecting. But right. ultimately, ultimately, the <laughs> show is about. Well, I wasn't expecting it, but ultimately, what the show is about is um, this. I want to say this like imagine Hogwarts for um, swords. <laughs> Um, I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine like a Hogwarts Harry Potter like school or whatever, but it's about swordsmen and, you know, magic users and like magic users in terms of combat with swords and stuff. So like, you know, who's going to be the greatest swordsman in in the class? Um, And you got this guy who's essentially like an up and coming knight. um, And he's just a good dude. You know what I mean? So like and his girlfriend, for example, is kind of like dude, we're dating. Why won't he try stuff? And he's like, why, why won't he be like physical with me? And he's just trying to be a nice dude. You know what I mean? Like he's trying to be chivalrous and all that stuff where the title (laughs) comes in. But like the story outside of like the sexual innuendo and stuff is actually kind of cool. So, and the fight sequence is a pretty badass. So what I've watched of it, the, the hand, the, like when I say handful, I'm talking like maybe five episodes have been pretty cool. So nice. I don't know if I yeah. recommend it all together. Like I said, it was a, you should watch this. Okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> well, the the premise sounds cool, but to me it reminds me a little bit of uh, the anime series uh, Bastard um, that okay. I was watching on uh, Netflix because I remember I was so excited about the series because I was like, oh, it's a dark fantasy anime that's filled with heavy metal references. This sounds awesome. And I remember I started watching it, and I was taken aback a little bit because there was... It was just filled with sexual innu- innuendo and stuff like that. And then I was like, this isn't exactly what I wanted. So I kind of <laughs> fell off of that series. Um, I actually do have uh, one anime related thing in my watching. I don't know sure. if you're, if you have more watching reading stuff no, you want to go kinda, through. Though. That's kind of it because um, my adult D&D game is entering like third act. And okay, I've, nice. And we've actually gotten spoiled. We've gotten to play five weeks in a row, and we're, I think, I honestly think we're about to do our sixth week. <laughs> so it's been kind of, uh, how do I want to word it? Um, I've been doing so much D&D prep that I've been, like, kind of focused on that, and I haven't been put in front of the TV the way I thought I was going to be, so. <laughs> like, 
there's really nothing wrong with that. Like it's nothing wrong at all. <laughs> I'm away from I'm away from screens. I'm doing something like intelligent, and I'm like broadening my horizons. You know what yeah. I mean? So I feel like I've been slacking. I haven't been watching enough TV. Um, oh no, I was just gonna say I really have been watching and reading just old stuff, like the same old stuff. But uh, I still am watching My Hero Academia. Like I've been trying to fit episodes of that in between other stuff that's been going on in my life. Um, I'm still on season four, but, uh, I, you know, and it's, it's part of the, I think they call it the hideout raid arc where you have a bunch of the heroes and like the student interns are raiding like, uh, Chizaki's hideout lair, trying to, uh, rescue Aerie for those who are, uh, familiar with the story. But, uh, this was one of the most epic sort of arcs in the manga. And, uh, one of my favorite parts of this arc is that, one of the villains has this, uh, his power is called Mimic, and basically what he does is he can fuse himself into any inanimate object. So if there's, like, sure. a blender sitting on the table, he can, like, become one with the blender and then control it. And uh it's, like, this really sweet sequence where you have a bunch of heroes raiding this uh villain's lair, and they're running through the hallways, but this... uh this villain with this mimic power, he basically becomes one with the building, like with the architecture, and then all of a sudden the uh, walls and the floors start undulating in and out, and it becomes this crazy, like, obstacle course that the heroes have to run through. And uh, since I'm finally watching that in the anime, it's just awesome. Like, it's just really cool to see that those visuals animated. With that being said, I think I still liked the way it was portrayed in the manga better just because, you know, it's anime, so the budget and the animation is sometimes a little bit limited, and when I was reading those parts in the manga with these, like, undulating walls, my imagination was running a lot more wild than maybe what I got on the screen, but it is what it is. Uh, My Hero Academia is a great series. I'm probably going to keep plugging it as time goes on. Um, And then otherwise, (laughs) I've just still been watching Teen Wolf with my wife. Um, We're on the sixth season, so... We're almost done with the show, and I'll probably have a review of the actual movie for this series soon. But uh, this series is still a lot of fun. I think this series, I've said it in the past, but the first season has some really good sort of just like teen drama, CW level like magic to it. And uh, the seasons kind of get worse and worse because they get more convoluted. But starting with, like, season four and then moving on to season six, where we're at right now, the seasons kind of refine their footing and get better and better. And season six has been amazing. Uh, the villains are, like, these really cool – they call them the – Ghost Riders, I think, and they're, like, these Western-themed, like, cowboy Grim Reaper guys who are taking people out, and uh, Styles goes missing, and everybody's trying to bring him back, and it's a really exciting season, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for watching and reading for me. Um, I don't know if you have any more comments or thoughts, Drew, or if it's time to uh, jump into the news. It's kind of time to jump into the yeah. news. We, uh... Yeah, it's everything's kind of light, um, and unfortunately, things are going to get lighter. So <laughs> let's awesome. let's talk about the news. Let's talk about the most important news story going on right now, and that is the Hollywood writers' strike. Um, the Hollywood Writers Guild is yes. on strike. You heard about this, right? Yes, yes. So 
For the first time in 15 years, members of the Writers Guild of America will be going on strike after studios and streamers refuse to agree on several important issues, including increases in minimum pay and better working conditions. Okay. Let's jump into this. Here's a couple tweets from the WGA. The board of directors of the WGA um, West and East and the count or of the wet of the WGA West and the Council of the WGA East, acting upon the authority granted to them by their memberships, have voted unanimously to call on a strike effective 12:01 a.m. Tuesday, May 2nd. So we're a couple days into this. Uh, the decision was made following six weeks of negotiation with Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Disney. Warner Brothers, NBC Universal, Paramount Plus, and Sony under the umbrella of the AMPTP. Uh, through our negotiating committee began this process intent on making a fair deal with studios. Responses have been wholly ins- insufficient given the existential crisis writers are facing. I did a little more digging into this. Ultimately, what's happening is, and I'm going to try and explain this in the best layman's terms that I can. Um, ultimately, what's happening is... Writers would networks viewings changed. We are no longer looking at um, television networks the way we would like watching things on network programming like NBC and, you know, ABC and, you know, WGN. Like you're not ordering 20 episode seasons anymore. You're ordering eight to 10 episode seasons on an HBO or a Netflix or whatever. Um, So you're like getting 10 episodes out of a season the streaming services are making way more money than networks. They're putting out less content, but they're putting out more content at the same time, and they're making more money. And the writers are not being compensated the same, where what's happening is is one of the writers who was who basically was like, I'm going to remain anonymous, and I'm not going to tell you what show I write for, said that her she was receiving a – she'd receive a residual check for $42,000 – the following year where she was expecting that check for like roughly $40,000, she got a check for $4 because the wages are so low and they're not being equally compensated for their time um, where they would make thousands of dollars on a network show, which was 20 episodes. And then you go right for a streaming service, which is like 10 episodes and you're making hundreds of dollars. That's a massive difference. Um, especially right. in an industry where they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars on this stuff and pumping out content. So the writers are not being compensated properly. Um, it's a mess. And I know I probably got some of that stuff wrong, but it's a mess. So what we're going to see happen is we're going to see um, in the near future, there's things we know that are coming. There's movies that are already in the works that are set to release. You're going to see those come out. Yeah. There are television shows that we've heard are finished and ready to roll out. We're going to see those. Mandalorian, for example, we know that all the scripts are written because they said the scripts were done. They're getting ready to go shoot. And the writers are the showrunners. So those people can technically make their own work. So I'm not really worried about that. What you're going to see is other programs. This is going to affect House of the Dragon. This is going to affect Last of Us. This is going to affect Stranger Things. This is going to affect, like, basically everything on network. All of the, um, this is what, two days later, all of the uh, um, late night shows are already shut down, like completely shut down. We're going to get to a point where we're going to run out of content. So what's going to happen is is we're all going to be watching our shows, and Peter and I are going to have the, what do you watch this week? Well, nothing new, because there's not going to be anything new for the <laughs> longest time. So what's going to happen is if this persists, 
and goes, I'm, I'm going to make a guess. If this goes into July, if this writer strike goes into the month of July, we will not have fall television until they can get back on their feet. Um, it's going to really affect a lot of stuff. So we will, luckily for you guys, Peter and I write our own show, so we're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, so our content kind of makes itself, but this might be a great time to discuss rewatching. You know what I mean? Like, what do I have on my shelf that I haven't rewatched? What's on Netflix yeah. I have, I've been meaning to rewatch? Where do I need to catch up and go, oh, I, I've been meaning to watch that for so long, but all this new stuff has been dumping. This is a good time to catch up, guys, but it's also a good time to say, support your writers. I'm one of those guys that believes the writer's king, and I'm all about supporting them. Um, you know, this is, I think the writing is one of the most important parts of the process, and um, it needs to be severe, uh, seriously looked at in that way. So, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, Peter, but, yeah. Yeah, my thoughts are pretty vague, because I think we're entering into territory where we really don't know what's going to happen. Like, uh, the last major writer strike that happened, I believe, was around, like, 2007. Yeah, it was. And uh, we, what we got out of that is, like, a plethora of reality shows, because they didn't really need writers for that. And we got, like, the worst season of Lost, for example, and probably the worst season of a lot of other shows. Uh, but we did get some... 24 went on hiatus during that mess because they were like, <laughs> we're not even going to put out a season because we want it, we don't want to affect the show. Yeah, and 24 is a... Because of the timeline of how those seasons play out, there's a very unique... Like, you can't do the Lost route where you have, like, a 14-episode season on 24. Like, it just doesn't work, right. you know? So that totally makes sense. But uh we did get some gems. Like, if you watched the Conan O'Brien show during the writer's strike, he had so many funny gags about how he doesn't have any writers, so he needed to waste as much time on the show as possible. Like, I remember one of my favorite gags he had was... There was a couple of episodes where every time a guest came on the show, they set up this giant, like, cardboard maze that the guest had to go through before sitting on the couch to talk to him. And they specifically did that just to waste time, and it was so funny. But then you also had, like, the epic crossover between... Colbert, Conan O'Brien, and The Daily Show, when yeah. they had a massive, uh, just hilarious fight. And that came out of lack of writers. Now, Drew, right. you just said all the late-night talk shows are on hiatus because of the strike. So yeah. I don't think we're going to get any of those moments. But I, I think... We, we might. We might. But all the late-night shows, they're so heavily supportive of their writers and they want their writers compensated that they've all ceased production. Right, right. But so. I think I think the way I'm looking at this is, like you said, you and I write our own show, so our podcast is going to still go. There's a million YouTubers, commentators, other podcasters who are still going to be going. Um, and there's probably a lot of, I mean, maybe there'll be some indie movies and stuff that are going to fill in the void. You know, maybe there'll be some indie gems on there that are out there that, are going to become big things that might have not, you know, risen to the top if the writer's strike didn't happen. You never know. And the other thing I was going to say is the beauty of being a nerd is that you always have old stuff to watch. Like, it is impossible to read every single good comic book in the world. There's an endless supply of anime. Drew, on your watching and reading, you mentioned that 
chivalry anime. Like, that seems like a weird, obscure thing that's out there. I mentioned Teen Wolf, which is a show from, like, ten years ago on MTV. There's an endless supply of old entertainment to watch, and I feel like if you think you've watched everything that you want to from the past, you're just not looking hard enough. Yeah. So I think we're still always going to have plenty of stuff to talk about in watching and reading, in our watching and reading portion of the show, even though it might not always be something brand new. But that's kind of just the nature of where we're at right now, you know? Yeah, well... Like I said, we're gonna we're, we'll always have stuff to talk about. I have a feeling we're never gonna run out of top fives. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't run out yet, to be honest. So. That's well, I, I hear you, but we got to get to 250 <laughs> episodes minimum, right? Right, All right. So um, let's keep on moving. Some of these are quick. Um, so uh, we'll talk about this. So here we go. So in the realm of the Brighter Strike messing up our viewing. Um, there was some stuff released about House of the Dragon season two. Okay. Um, we, I don't know if all this, if that's one of those things, I don't know if all the scripts are put together right away before they start shooting or whatever. Um, but we know they started filming. So here's some yeah, filming. I heard they were locked in, but I might, that might be wrong. Right. That's but, the thing. Like some of these, some of these shows might be done and written. Yeah. Ready to roll. I, a lot of times in like the bigger seasons, like, uh, Flash, let's use Flash as an example. They'll start writing the season. They'll get about halfway done. They'll start shooting with the scripts they got. The writers will continue working on the back half of the season while they're shooting the front half of the season. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's how a lot of that stuff works. So here we are. So anyway, the filming updates for House of the Dragon 2. Filming in England, Spain, and Wales. Um, the filming is expected to wrap in October, hopefully. Okay. Summer of 2024 will be their premiere date. No date date, but summer of 24 will be when it uh, launches. It's going to be an eight-episode season. There will be no time skips. Nice. Um, season three is already mapped out, and we will get to see five new dragons. <laughs> nice. Oh, Awesome. <laughs> Like, everything they said sounds great. <laughs> um, the funny thing about that show is the dragons, normally I'd be that'd be the thing I'm most excited for, but that show is so good that I'm not even the most excited about the dragons. I'm just excited about the scheming and the back alley, you know, conversations between various, you know, groups and people on the show. Like, I just love the devious scheming in Game of Thrones, and it's funny, like... Five new dragons, that's awesome, but at the same time, I don't even need that, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Let's talk about, cover some Marvel news real quick. Um, okay, a, Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse 2, um, is the longest major studio animated film ever. It is clocking in at two hours and 20 minutes. Um, okay. That's, I mean, that sounds great. Most animated movies are about 90 minutes. So like, that's about an hour and a half for most animated films. Um, Spider-Verse one, I believe was a full two hours. I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it's a full two hours. We're getting an extra 20 minutes. So, um, I look forward to it, but that's a, that's a long animated movie. Then again, 
Avatar is a long animated movie. <laughs> so, right. Um, <laughs> it's, it is long, especially as you pointed out for an animated feature, but I, it really surprises me that that's the longest one. Um, I don't know. That's hard to wrap my head around, but we'll have to see how it, uh, how the pacing and everything plays out when we actually watch that one. Yeah. Um, Daredevil born again, the Daredevil show is reportedly going to cement Netflix's Daredevil as MCU canon, which will mean they will acknowledge it to the point where that'll be legit canon for the MCU, um, which I think is awesome. So I hope that that's um, real. That'll also include the show Echo. Um, so hopefully, as long as Echo is still in the works, and I say that because Marvel was trying to roll back some of the show Drops mm-hmm. like they feel like they dropped too much during phase four. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But that's, uh, but I thought that was interesting. Okay. Here's some casting rumors for Marvel. And like I said, these are casting rumors. Okay. So first, Margot Robbie has reportedly been offered Sue Storm in the Fantastic Four. Um, I am not opposed to this casting idea at all. But Margot Robbie plays Harley Quinn for DC. And I know we're doing a DC revamp right now, but she played Harley Quinn in James Gunn's Suicide Squad. And if James Gunn's in charge, I feel like he's not going to want to lose his Harley Quinn. So is that going to be weird to see... um Sue Storm, Margot Robbie over on the Marvel side, and then Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie on the DC side. Um, I don't know what your take on this is. <laughs> this is a rumor, so I don't know how true it is. I think you're right, and it will be weird, and that's why I think they should offer the role to Amber Heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm totally joking. This wow. is one of those things, if we forget about the Harley Quinn aspect Margot Robbie is perfect casting. Like, it just sounds, it sounds awesome. But that is the one issue is just, not the Amber Heard thing. The one issue for me is Hollywood's in this place where there's, like, a well of, like, 50 actors that are in every single movie. Like, it's like, okay, we're doing a a new movie. Well, we have the same 30 to 50 people to choose from. And I feel like there's millions of, uh actors like no-name people who could probably oh, yeah. play the role just as well that yeah. are being ignored. You know what I mean? So Yes, millions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> or at least, at least hundreds of thousands. I don't know. <laughs> millions might have been over-exaggeration. I'm not, but. <laughs> I'm not opposed to the, um, like I said, I'm not opposed to the Margot Robbie choice. I do think what they should do is try and shoot for, when it comes to the Fantastic Four, this is just my opinion, I really think they should shoot for most of the cast to be younger. Um, right. I think, that, and I don't mean like high school age, I'm talking like fresh out of high school, like early college, because Reed Richards, because if you read, and I know it's not the best version of the Fantastic Four by any means, but um, I did think it was fun, but if you read Ultimate Fantastic Four, that's like high school level, early college for all those characters. And they are learning their powers and they're learning their stuff. And Reed Richards is that, um, the science boy genius or whatever, however you want to word that, that, you know, has got to figure out how to 
make Ben Grimm human again. You know what I mean? So it's, right. I thought the dynamic of them being younger was cool because we're moving into a territory where the Fantastic Four kind of need to be a staple in the Marvel Universe. So you need them for around for several films. So let's do them a little younger. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, you know, so um, we got John Krasinski, um, Mr. Fantastic, which is great. Um, and what I liked about that is that that was a that was a specific multiverse kind of a thing. So mm-hmm. we not, might not see that again, you know. Um, but yeah, moving on. Um, we have rumor reportedly in ter- in um, reportedly in talks to play the villain in the Fantastic Four film Galactus is Antonio Banderas. <laughs> now, both those stories... That is not the name that I thought you were going to say. Nope, and that's not the name I was expecting to read when I saw rumor to be up in talks for the following. Um, I'm just thinking of the old, like, uh, I don't know if you remember the old Chris Hardwick bit where he's joking about how the Nasonex B has way too sexy of a voice to be, like, the voice of an allergy yeah. medication or whatever, and that's I the do. same thing. Like Antonio Banderas' voice as a uh, planet-eating, you know, like giant celestial planet-eating yeah, celestial, demigod. That's the word like, I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And so and, crazy. And that is why I don't know if I can believe the Margot Robbie report because the. Antonio Banderas, to me, no offense to him, his voice does not fit Galactus of all characters. Even if they modeled Galactus's like facial features after Antonio Banderas, that seems weird to me as well. But yeah. I don't know. I guess it's you have to trust the casting director sometimes. So we'll have to wait and yeah. see if this even is going to happen. You know. Yep. Well, let's shift gears over to DC for a brief moment and say congratulations to Jim Lee, who just got promoted to DC president. Yeah, uh, I heard about this. Jim Lee, look, that's a guy who has been, I don't know if that was his ultimate goal, is to be president of DC Comics. I don't know if that's, you know, but I look at it going, here's a guy that's an artist that worked his way up, worked his way up, worked his way up, and here he is, president of DC Comics. Jim Lee is a champion of the industry, and I think that's awesome. So congratulations to him. Um, yeah, that's really all I got to say on that, unless you have anything to add. But no, it's crazy. Obviously, congratulations to him. Like, if you've listened to our podcast, you know Jim Lee's like one of Drew and my both uh, favorite comic book artists, like ever. And uh, I actually can comment a little bit on. I do think that was ultimately his goal to run DC Comics, or at least a huge comic book company because if you so i've mentioned the documentary before but there's this documentary called the image revolution that talks about uh kind of just all the guys who founded image comics you know jim lee rob liefeld todd mcfarlane mark celestri etc etc and uh they do talk in that documentary about how jim lee said even while while he was doing his like wildcats books at image that someday he wanted to own and run Marvel Comics. And, like, obviously he's at DC, but this is obviously, like, running one of the big two companies has been kind of in his, uh, kind of a goal for him forever, you know? And that, yeah. so it's really cool and, uh, 
crazy, crazy to think about. Yeah, right. So yeah, very cool. Uh, congrats, Jim. Um, I've been a supporter of yours forever, so this is just cool news in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mario Brothers hit the one billion dollar global yep. mark. Um, <laughs> so it is now officially uh, the largest. Um, it is, I believe it's the best selling animated film of all time. Um, here, let me read this here. Illumination and Universal Super Mario Bros. movie is checking off another notable milestone, crossing $1 billion at the worldwide box office. Globally, it now ranks as Universal's seventh biggest film of all time after beating Jurassic Park, uh, World Dominion, and Despicable Me, and is now the fourth biggest among any of the ho of any Hollywood movie since 2019. Um, so good for Mario Brothers. That's awesome. Hopefully we see many, many more, and I'm not... I'm not kidding when I say this, Nintendo. I really, really hope you're going to try and build a universe out of this, and we're going to eventually lead to Smash Brothers. It's the only logical path. Do it. Get it done. <laughs> Smash Brothers. Let's go. Absolutely. Um, That'll be great. Right. Star Wars news, because it is Star Wars Day. Carrie Fisher <laughs> finally gets her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I saw this. Um, which was awesome. Uh, Billy Lord was there wearing a dress with the picture of Princess Leia on it. Mark Hamill was there. Um this is this is long overdue in my opinion, but congratulations to Carrie Fisher. Um, that was a quick Absolutely. one. I know there's yeah. not much to say other than that. Um, some update on Andor season two, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, Tony Gilroy and the writer behind Andor series said this is an opportunity. This is a this is fifteen hundred pages of the most dynamic material in these people's lives to deal with. We got it right the first time, and we don't want to let you um, let your foot off the gas. Andor Season 2 will cover th the three days before Rogue One in its last three episodes. So the last three episodes of Andor Season 2 will be the final three days before the events of Rogue One. Which I think is pretty cool. Crazy. If yeah. it's gonna lead If it's going to lead up that close... And then, boom, you're jumping into a new hope and all that stuff. Like, that's yeah. that's kind of cool. So It really makes me wonder what they're going to do for season three. They're not doing season <laughs> three. <laughs> but, hey. Um, all right. Kathleen Kennedy wants to eventize Star Wars movies like the James Bond franchise. I read this headline, and I thought to myself, what? <laughs> um, and, then I read, and then I read her quote. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the quote, but before I do, I want you to listen to the things she says, and then I want you to understand that I'm sitting here reading this the whole time thinking to myself, um, Kathleen, this is what we wanted from the beginning when you took over. Okay. Okay? So this is what you thought. I've often brought up Bond, Kennedy noted in the conversation about how when to best release new Star Wars movies. That's every three to four years. And there wasn't this pressure to feel like you had to have a movie out every year. I feel that it's very important to Star Wars. We have, an, we have to eventize this. It's much better to tell the truth. We're going to make these movies when they're ready to be made and release them when they're ready to be released. Um, the simple answer is nothing is likely to hit the multiplexes until at least 2025. That feels like a long time to wait for most Star Wars movies to arrive. But in the words of Yoda, patience you must have, my young Padawan. Okay. 
I don't know how many, like, I understand Disney wanted to, they wanted to Marvelize Star Wars. They really did. Marvel pumps out two to five movies a year. We got seven Marvel movies coming out this year. That's a ton. And I understand Marvel has a machine that allows them to do that, but that's not been the Star Wars mentality ever. And when Disney took over Star Wars, they tried to Marvelize it, if you will. And you got, we got, uh, in the year's successions, episode one, Rogue One, episode eight, Solo, episode nine, and then they stopped. It's five movies, back to back to back to back. And by the time we got to episode nine, the internet was like so angry at Disney that they're like, well, how do we fix this? And they dropped Mandalorian and everyone shut up. You know what I mean? So. Right. I think they're realizing that they shouldn't have rushed and they rushed and it was a detriment to the franchise um, where we were, or there were many of us screaming, give me a minute to catch up. Um, I don't know how many times that in the past, like when you think about the prequel films specifically, episode one comes out in the theater, you go to the theater a couple times to see it, you get it home on DVD, you watch it 1200 times and then it's time to watch the next movie. <laughs> you know, we never right. got a chance to di- digest any of the Disney Mar- the Disney Star Wars films at all. We didn't get a chance to um, live with them at all. It was just, boom, here's another movie coming out. So it was just moving too fast. <laughs> the quote I, is weird. Well, sorry, did you have more, have more to say? No, that was it. Just oh. That's the end of the, like, quote that was posted. I was like, the, oh, the, that's weird, but, you know. The quote is weird because, like, like you said, Kathleen Kennedy said... She wants to eventize the Star Wars movies. And I heard that and I was like, but they always were that way. And then she says, like the James Bond films. And I'm like, well, they, Star Wars was always more of an event than James Bond films for me, at least. But, right. uh, no, it's true. Like I remember, so I remember growing up watching the original trilogy on like, old VHSs and stuff through my childhood, and I remember where I was in life and the event of going to see the special editions in theaters. And then for each of the prequels, like, they came out every couple of years, and I remember exactly where I was, the stage I was in my adolescence when I saw episode one and episode two. And it's they were big milestone events, and then eventually... I remember exactly where I was when I saw The Force Awakens. And I think from there, everything kind of starts to mesh together because, like you said, we had five years straight with a Star Wars movie every year. And uh I don't know. I, I'm not going to, like, go on and on, like, saying Disney mismanaged it or I could have done better and stuff because I don't know if that stuff is true. But it's just kind of funny that we're at a place where they're like, we really need to make these Star Wars films events. And uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, they always were events. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, you know? Right. Uh, really mean, weird. Really I don't know. at all? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm with you completely. Um, all right. Uh, one more story. This is the science story for the night. We haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, but this one's really scary. You know what chat GTP is, right? Yeah. Okay. I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like all of us know what chat GTP is. Um, if you're using ChatGTP for any reason, I'm going to say stop it. Not because, you know, I think the AI singularity is going to take over the planet and, you know, we could have a whole podcast about how that works. Um, my frustration with ChatGTP is it's going to break down communication in the sense that people will not, will no longer know how to write 
They will no longer know how to communicate. They will no longer how to express their their thoughts. They will no longer be able to, like, we went from hieroglyphics with the Egyptians to hieroglyphics with um, emojis. Um, And now we're having computers type our thoughts for us. That's really messed up. Lack of creativity, all that stuff. You want to talk about writers putting out product? As long as they're not looking to chat GTP to write scripts for television shows, I think we're okay. So, this is the scary part. Scientists discover how to translate thoughts into text using chat GTP. Yeah. So, scientists created a language decoder that uses an MRI, an fMRI machine that feeds a person's thoughts into text using an AI similar to chat GTP. This uh, tool could generally determine what stories, images, and subjects was thought about. That's messed up, in my opinion. Um, that's a little scary, especially like the, you know, you can't do a, it. It'd be kind of like you go into the police department, and you have to do a lie detector test, like a polygraph test, and they're like, well, we're going to hook them up to chat TV and find out what's really going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, man. Holy cow. Like, that's... That's like scary. Um, and maybe, and maybe some people, we should find out what's really going on. But at the same time, again, that's kind of scary. So, um, you want a whole different way than I was thinking with this because I think <laughs> there's the idea, like, you have like Elon Musk wants to do his like Neuralink thing and start putting chips in people's heads, which is another, <laughs> another aspect where it's like, have you ever watched a sci-fi movie? Like, the sci-fi writers have been warning about this stuff for years, but nobody seems to listen. But um, it's one of those things where, like, I can imagine the point where you have this chip in your head and you can translate your thoughts to text on a screen instantly and potentially your thoughts to images or videos, which is a whole other rabbit hole discussion to go down. But as much as, like... If you want to look at the positives, the infinite possibilities of having so much uh, information and like instant communication abilities at the, you know, at the tip of your tongue, at the top of your mind, I think this stuff is going to play out a lot more mundane than we think. Like this is going to be more of like a, well, you've got the chip in your head, so you can send out those work emails faster. <laughs> you can, I know we're not going to use tech. We're not going to use the tech the way that I think they intended the tech to be used. And then some. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's going to be boring as hell. It's going to be like, oh, you can email Bobby in the mailroom about package 596 way faster than before. When, when it's like, we all want like some crazy Ready Player One future, but it's the, the way the tech plays out is always way more boring than we expect. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it's kind of just an annoying thing, I think. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that the whole AI conversation would be an interesting, like, bonus episode to do, Drew, because I've got a lot of interesting thoughts on it, especially with the AI art stuff that's going on and stuff like that. Um, And it sounds like you're kind of on the same page as yeah. I am, but, uh, yeah, really, really creepy, weird stuff that's going on right now in the world of AI, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, yeah, and I always joke that we could do a whole show on it, but, you know, seriously, watch The Terminator, watch The Matrix, like, watch, uh, there's a movie Surrogates, that's, like, we're, like, real close to, like, if you watch, 
Um, if you watch the movie Surrogates with Bruce Willis, um, I forget yeah. I forget the actress who plays his wife. But if you watch that movie, um, I feel like our addiction to technology, our addiction to screens and social media and stuff, we're so close to that being a thing. You know, like it's crazy. So yeah, that's how that's all I'm going to say about that. So <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, I think that's it for the news. Would you like to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, let's do it. All right, great. So um, let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. Okay, Peter. This is What's your up? this is your list. Um, why don't you explain it to everybody, and we'll talk about how difficult it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say after that well of existential dread we just talked about with that yep. last news story, hopefully this list is gonna be a funny conversation. It's a topic that I enjoy a lot. I think it's really funny. Hopefully it goes well. But this week we're talking about the top five things that television lied to you about, <laughs> which is my vague, funny title for it. But what really I had in mind for this list is you watch TV as a kid and you see like hundreds of like various tropes play out in different sitcoms and comedies and action movies. And there's like certain things that when you watch when you're younger, you think are, like, everyday occurrences. Like, you think certain things that happen in sitcoms, like, happen a lot in adults' daily life. And then you get older and you're like, no, these things never happen. And that's kind of the type of thing that I want to talk about. And I don't want to spoil my list, so I don't want to give any examples. But I think this is just a fun to uh, conversation topic in general. Um, what were your thoughts on this list, Drew? <laughs> I just found it difficult in the sense that I'm like, what are all the things that, like, I thought yeah. of as a child? I had to really dig into my childhood to do this. And, like, I'm, like, looking at sitcoms. I'm looking at cartoons. I'm looking at, like, <laughs> perception of reality. I was yeah. like, this is crazy. I found it difficult. I wonder if we're going to match. I think there's one I think we might match on. Okay. And I have one that is kind of a cheat. And I only say it's a cheat because at the time it was not a thing. And I feel like in a really weird way, society and technology has made it a thing now. <laughs> so I think I know what you're talking about, but we'll see how it plays out. But that's yeah. really, really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so I have zero honorable mentions. I do as well. So I'm throwing Great. it to you. Great. All right. So that's interesting. This This never happens. <laughs> um, all right, so I guess my first one is um, dogs eating homework. Yep, perfect. Uh, <laughs> um, that seems to be the um, – oh, by the way, this could be a very short list discussion. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> um, the uh, dogs eating homework, I feel like that was the standard sitcom trope for the longest time. It probably – it clearly happened in Full House and – you know, Webster and, like, Bill Cosby, the Cosby show, and stuff like that. So it was just a thing that they would make jokes about, or, like, Saved by the Bell would make jokes about it. Not a thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, just dogs don't eat homework. 
to be fair, when I was in like fifth grade, uh, we had to do some sort of uh, class project where everybody had to make poster boards. And I can't remember what the information was supposed to be on the poster board, but somebody's dog actually peed on their poster board. So they actually got to tell the teacher my dog peed on their, on my homework, but they actually brought the poster board in and it hung on the wall next to everybody else's projects with the, you know, big yellow dog pee stain in the middle. So uh, that was a, that was a great moment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> all right. But um, I can move into my next pick, which is uh Kind of along the same lines, another uh, pet-related one, but I went with replacing a dead pet. Um, I feel like this one's a little more dismal than my other picks, but oh. I feel like you watch TV, and there's always somebody house-sitting or, you know, dog-sitting or something, and they end up somehow, like, either the pet gets lost or they pass away somehow, and the person has to scramble and find, like, a replacement pet. <laughs> so they go to the they yeah. go to the dog shelter, find, like, a dog that's almost identical, except it's missing, like, a stripe on their back, so then they spray paint the stripe on the dog's back, and then it turns out that the new dog is really mean and doesn't act like the old dog. This is something that you see as a kid, and you're watching all these shows where this exact same plot plays out, and you think that, like... When you're older, you're going to be, like, replacing your friend's dead pets, like, left and right. <laughs> Literally has never happened to me once in my life. But you yeah. see this on TV. You think this is an everyday occurrence. And this one of my favorite parts of this choice is that it's one of those picks where it's, like, if the main character was just honest and just, like, told the person what happened, like, they could have gotten off scot-free, but they decided to go on, like, a wild goose chase hunting down, like, a replacement cat for their friend or whatever, so. Yeah, and it's usually, I always feel like it's, like, replacing a hamster or replacing a bunny or, like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's a standard sitcom kind of a trope. Exactly. Right. Um, This, my next one is because of shows like Saved by the Bell. And, okay. uh. Boy Meets World, that's the best way of referring to it. Um, Hanging out at school. I feel like when you watch sitcoms, no one actually goes to class. They just go to school, and they just hang out in the hallways. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very rarely do you get to see the inside of the classrooms on those shows. It's always the hallway with the locker rooms and stuff like that. Yeah. Back off at the restaurant, hanging out, having, like, milkshakes and stuff. (laughs) Um Yeah, pretty much. That's a yeah. that's a really interesting one. Um, yeah, that's all I got on that one. Just hanging it, out at school. It is one of those things like so many important plot points play out in sitcoms within the school hallways where when I think of my hallways in high school, it was like you'd have the couple people who had lockers next to you and you'd like go to your locker in, in between classes. You might say what's up. You might say like a random joke. And then that was it. Like it wasn't like we had some long philosophical discussion about so-and-so selling drugs or something like that. So that's a really funny, uh, funny observation there. Yeah. All right, man. What do you got for your next pick? So you're on. My, yeah. My next one, and this is kind of funny because our order is actually pretty related, but my next one is another school related one, but I went with food fights. Oh <laughs> like yeah. You watch teen comedies and sitcoms and stuff. You would swear there's, like, food fights every day at, like, every American school. Like, it happens so much in movies and TV and stuff. And 
you know, I went through <laughs> 12 years of public school uh, when I was younger and never once had a food fight in school. I don't know what's going on. So, uh, yeah, that's my next pick. Yeah, and it gets uh, – and food fights get um, – uh, how do I romanticize it away from like movies like Animal House? And yeah. then, you know, that's probably one of the most famous food fight moments. But no, you're right. Like, yeah, food fights. That's, that's really funny. And the uh, other thing is everybody in a food fight acts like it's so much fun when it's in like a school food fight scene. And that's the other thing is like, if somebody threw a casserole at my face and like got like, cake and mashed potatoes and stuff all up in my shirt and pants and stuff, I'd have a miserable rest of the day. I don't think I would be, like, laughing and smiling about no, it, so that's wouldn't. another funny part no, of it. No, you wouldn't, and you'd be pissed off for the rest of the day, and <laughs> if a food fight happened now, you'd probably be offended. Like, yeah, it's just no, the way true, the works, you know what I mean? Um, all right, so the next one on my list is ropes. I know, oh, okay. I know ropes... The, just the standard, the fact you have a rope is kind of a vague thing to say there. But um, when you look at, like, any show that uh, comes with an adventure, a heist, um, anything, someone always has to have a rope. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know, like, not that I've been on a heist, but I know that, like, the adventures I've gone on with my friends, I don't remember anyone saying, ooh, we have to have a rope and grabbing <laughs> a rope. <laughs> Or or needing a rope, which is really funny when you look at um when you look at uh like movies like Boondock Saints or Fanboys, um they all have ropes and it's funny in Boondock Saints they make jokes about it, like, dude, you don't need a rope. He's like, Yeah, you do, you always need a rope and then later yeah. it comes into play, <laughs> but in the funniest way possible. And then in the movie Fanboys, he's got the rope and he does the grappling hook and he climbs over the fence and everyone just kinda walks through the gate. <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't need ropes as much as television will make you think you do. So. <laughs> well, it goes back to, and you might remember this better than me, Drew, but the, uh, the line in the great Muppet caper when they're like talking about s- supplies they need to break in. And there's the one character like, I brought the paper towels. And it's like, it's yeah. just so funny, but it's also like, you never know when, when you're going to need the paper towels. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, man, what do you got? Okay, so another one. It's kind of funny. Literally, I'm right reading my choices in the order I wrote them down, and they're kind of correlating with the ones you're going with. Because I did another, like, maybe semi-heist-related one, but I went with a uh, stacked kid disguise. So, you know, you see in movies, oh. there's yeah. always, like... <laughs> You see it all the time, like, the two kids who are, like, doing a piggyback ride thing and wearing some huge trench coat and maybe they have a fake mustache or something and they're disguising themselves to sneak into a liquor store or an R-rated movie or like a bank vault or there's always some crazy situation and this is something that I think when I was a kid I always assumed I was going to do this at some point still haven't done it once in my life don't think it would ever play out believably but it's definitely a really uh entertaining trope from uh you know kids shows and stuff like that um, uh, Little Rascals is probably yep. the best example of a stacked kid disguise um, that I could think of when they try and go to the bank and get a loan and pretend they're an adult, so they dress, they, like, <laughs> stack yep. those up and go in. Um, <laughs> That's the classic one I was thinking of, too. Even though I know, 
I know they've done the same trope in so many other things, but my mind always goes to Little Rascals right away um, as well. I also think of Scrubs with JD and Turk. They did Giant right. Doctor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good uh, callback. But yeah, 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 I hear you. That's funny because I didn't think of that one. Okay, <laughs> here's the one that I think is an actual thing. Um, this comes from Looney Tunes. Um, if you watch Looney Tunes, it doesn't matter if it's a standard Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. Usually you saw this in the uh, Roadrunner uh, episodes, which were my favorites. And that is the Wile E. Coyote would always get all of his harebrained contraptions, costumes, weapons, traps, all that stuff from the Acme Supply Company. Right. Um, and clearly there's some place where he's ordering just random stuff where you can basically get Anything you want from the Acme Supply Company. There can't be a place like that, can there? Can there, Amazon? Can there? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, which I thought to myself, I was thinking about it, I was like, wow. Because when I wrote down Acme Supply Company, I kind of chuckled to myself. And then I was I'm like, haha, I love those cartoons. And then I was like, oh my god, Amazon is the Acme Supply Company. <laughs> um, That's it's so good, and it also plays into the whole, like, idea of, like, every time you order something online, it's a way different, like, it never comes in the form you think it's going to be, it never works right, like, it's always a disappointment, and I feel like that plays into the uh, Wiley and Coyote's contraptions and stuff, too, so that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's what it is, and, like, you know... I always loved watching the Roadrunner because of all the different gadgets and everything. Like, he had the Batman costume, which the Batman costume was really, like, a costume that made him look like a bat, and he tried to fly off a cliff and chase the Roadrunner down. Yeah. You know, like, some of the contraptions just like, man, but you know what? I could order probably all of that off, of, minus some of the explosives, <laughs> off of Amazon. Like, <laughs> um, The thing I thought you were going to go with for this one was I thought you were going to talk about seeing somebody on the TV when you talk to them on the phone. Like, that was the old thing in the Jetsons, where it seemed, like, so uh -oh. futuristic, and now it's, like, some, like we're doing it right now, Drew. Like, it's something everybody does every day, you know what I mean? Oh, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, tech tech advances. This is, like, someone's, like, we need a name for a supply company that just has everything. Acme, that sounds good. And here we are going, we need a name for the show, for a company that has everything. Amazon. <laughs> it's so close. Um, anyway, uh, that's my second one. My, my second to last one. What do you got? So my next one I mentioned last week, so that was a bit of a spoiler, but it is one of my favorite ones of these, and that is driving in a car against traffic. I feel like there's so many action movies, a lot so many us, yeah. comedy movies, so many chase scenes, like so many times in cinema, just in general, you see the main character's car goes the wrong way on the expressway or the wrong way down a busy road, and they're driving against traffic, weaving in and out of cars. It happens all the time. And as a kid, I always assumed that that would happen to me once or twice as an adult. And uh, luckily to say, that hasn't happened yet, but I, I still think it's really funny that when I was younger, I just assumed that's just something that happens to you every once in a while, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say, I, so my thought on this is you're, de you're dead on because that's a trope that happens in all sitcoms and, you know, some comedy movies. But as someone who works in a police department, that happens more often than you think. Uh, wow. <laughs> but it's like, oh, he's going the wrong way. Like, 
I haven't been to a traffic accident where that's the case, but then there's, like, people who are like, you know what, I'm getting around this anyway, and they'll do it. They're just, people are dumb, and they'll just kind of go around, like, it's just insane. It happens. It does. To be be fair, I have driven the wrong way down a one-way street, but it was, like, a residential street, and nobody was there, so I don't think that really counts, so. (laughs) Um, What do you have? What's your final pick? So my final one... Hmm, how it's quicksand. Oh, good call. Um, That's good. Um, I mean, when it comes to like movies like Princess Bride or like the Looney Tunes or like, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoons or like He Man or something like that, like, man. And John Mulaney, uh the comedian John Mulaney even has a bit about it in one of his stand ups is quicksand yeah. seemed like it was gonna be a much more bigger deal <laughs> than it really is. <laughs> um so yeah, quicksand. Like it's it's. I thought I always thought it was such a really cool um, trap or component or uh, perilous thing that you might encounter. And here we are with you know, uh, no, it's it's not a thing that we have to worry about really ever. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to worry about sinkholes more than we do quicksand. <laughs> That's me. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard a good sinkhole story for a while, but uh, that's that's hilarious. <laughs> right. Um, sinkholes might be more scary than quicksand, but it is true. Like, I just remember, like, growing up, we had, like, lightning sand in Princess Bride. You had, like, a million Saturday morning cartoons where, like, quicksand was a really frequent trope that a lot of pieces of entertainment had. And, uh, yeah, I, am, I almost feel like we need a resurgence of uh, quicksand in pop culture. Like, I haven't seen a movie feature quicksand in quite some time, and uh, that's kind of uh, sad Christmas, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal That That was the last one, wasn't that's it? That's the most recent quicksand adventure I've seen. And then, uh, I'll be real honest, I think movie-wise, the, mo- the after that, you probably have, unless there's one that I'm not knowing about, but Princess Bride, so that was a big, long stint. Yep. You know, um, but that was light well, sand. That wasn't quicksand. It was light. Yeah. Sand. <laughs> well, there, there, there was a lot. I swear there was a lot of just like Saturday morning cartoons that had quicksand in it and stuff. But it's really at the point where I feel like forget a writer's strike in Hollywood. We need a quicksand strike because, I mean, quicksand's just not getting enough work nowadays. It's not. So, yeah, <laughs> we're going to have to get some more quicksand going. Um, What's your final pick of the night? My final pick of the night is one of my favorite sitcom tropes. It never happens in real life, but it's really funny, and you're going to be mad that you didn't think of this one, Drew. But I went with two dates at the same time. When you have, like, that sitcom character gets two dates with two different women at the same time, or, you know, Archie gets a date with Betty and Veronica at the same time, and they're at restaurants that are right across the street from each other, and then you have the main character who's running between restaurants. Another great example of this is the ending of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire in the... um, in the restaurant scene at the end. And the reason I love that one is because it even involves the disguise. Like Robin Williams has to run in and out of the bathroom, changing between his own character and Mrs. Doubtfire. And that's probably the most epic scene, but this is something that's just so funny. It happens so much on TV. If you actually pay attention. And it's also one of those things that I think when I was younger, I just thought like, 
people did stuff like this all the time. Like, I just figured I would do this. Like, oh, damn, I've got a date with a really hot girl and a job interview on the same day. How am I going to figure this out? And this is another one that really cracks me up because it's another thing where if you're just an honest person or if you just have the guts to cancel one of your commitments, this would work out fine. But I just love that people in so many sitcoms and comedies and stuff just aren't honest enough to just sort out their schedule and cancel what they need to with somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, the two dates at the same time. Um, it's, I love it because it does help. It does rein in like some great comedy bits. It does rein in some great yeah. comedy tropes and you watch them kind of juggle, you know, it's so predictable that you know it's not going to work, but it's kind of fun to see how the writers and everything played through to um, how the writers put it all together, if you will. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, Mrs. Doubtfire one, I think that's like, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but from what I, the movies and shows I've seen, I feel like that one was executed the best because you could really see, feel how Robin Williams' character didn't have a choice and how that played out, he just was kind sure. of, like, forced into both of si- both situations. So I think that's a really good way to uh, think about it if you if somebody wants to use this trope for their own script or something, for example. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of brings us to the end of the list, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, which also kind of brings us to the end of the episode. This is kind of a shorter episode, uh, which is... Okay, that's all right. We might have some <laughs> standard shorter episodes later because of this writer strike. So we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> next week, um, I thought it'd be kind of fun. I'm surprised we never talked about this before. We're going to talk about a collecting thing. Like every now and then, you know, Peter and I are both nerds and uh, we like to collect things aside from just watching and stuff. So, but sometimes when you collect things, they'll release a collector's edition of something. And sometimes collector's editions come with special stuff because it's a collector's edition. So, this goes toys, video games, movies, TV box sets, whatever. So, what are your five favorite collector's editions and maybe items that came with it and why? Um, I just thought that'd be kind of a cool okay. in terms of stuff because, you know, there's some stuff I've collected along the way that I'm really glad I grabbed because they were limited edition, can't find them anymore kind of a thing and, you know... So I just thought it was kind of a cool list to do. Yeah, I love the concept. Uh, I do think this one might be hard for me, but I think this is also going to be really fun. So well, kind of excited about this one at the same time. If you only have five, you know? that's cool. If you were like, yeah. I wish I could have grabbed that, um, but I never got a chance to, that makes sense too. <laughs> fair enough, fair uh, enough. <laughs> but yeah, like there's just some things are collector's editions for reasons, and you know, there's usually something special about them. So what made it a collector's edition that made you have to have it? Um, cool. So yeah. Anyway, um, nice. that's my idea for next week. Um, so yeah, everybody, that kind of brings us to the end. Peter, you want to toss this episode in the can? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Um, do us all a favor, everyone. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Um, there you can interact with the show, uh, social media, email, either way it works. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible, 
Uh, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better, and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be peer pressuring Agent Z to actually host an intergalactic kegger. Excellent. <laughs> all right, everyone. We all know that would be awesome. So It would be, yeah. All right, everyone, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And may the fourth be with you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.